Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Hello, everyone, and a very happy Monday or whatever day it just so happens to be that you're listening to this episode of the Generation Ag podcast. You've got Kayla introducing uh, today's guest. I'm excited for this one because uh, a little bit of a backstory. When I was at uni, I studied public relations and human resource management. And human resource management is a huge area of my study that I loved, but I don't get to talk about all that much. So I was excited to sit down with today's guest. Before I jump into introducing today's guest, I did want to remind you all that applications are currently open for our new podcast called Farmers and Charmers. If you're unfamiliar, either head on over to our Instagram where you can find the link to the Farmers and Charmers Instagram page or you can search Farmers and Charmers on whatever in, uh, podcast platform you're using and follow along and listen to the introductory episode over there. Uh, it is our new podcast all about finding love and country love at that which as we all know sometimes can be a little bit challenging so head on over there follow that page along uh, where there'll be plenty of updates all the way through to harvest time which is when the podcast will be released so on that I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest her job title is the chief inspiration officer with inspire ag And her name, if you're unfamiliar, is Sally Murphy. Now, Sally is a farmer's daughter and she says she has red dirt running through her veins. She's proudly Tasmanian born and bred with national awareness of the Australian agriculture sector. She has more than 20 years experience working on farm and with agribusiness companies and has an innate understanding of what makes agribusinesses tick from the paddock to the boardroom. Sally is extremely passionate about powering agri people, which is something that I don't think agribusinesses take enough time to do really well. And Sally and I talk a lot about that in today's interview. So I won't give away too much more, but I love um, a quote from Sally's website. She says, I have an unshakable belief that people power agriculture. That's why I do what I do. I'm committed to supporting the agri sector to build better, stronger and more profitable businesses through its people. So let's speak to an incredible person in her own right, Sally Murphy. Sally Murphy, welcome to the Generation Ag podcast. We are so excited to have you. Thank you for giving up your Monday night. What time is it there? Uh, It's just gone 9pm. You are dedicated to the cause, jumping on at 9pm with me. Um, Before we get into your life as a business owner, can you tell us about yourself? About myself? This is always the uh, awkward part, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So I I am the daughter of a spud farmer and beef cattle producer on the northwest coast of of Tasmania. And I guess you could say that I've, I've literally got red dirt running through my veins. Anybody that knows the northwest coast of Tasmania knows that it's known for its rich deep chocolate soils Uh, so yeah it was a really beautiful place to grow up in my mum and dad uh, separated pretty early on in my life I think I was in about year six or thereabouts so my first year of high school was actually at a regional high school which I absolutely hated 
but I, I nagged my mum and dad to let me go to a district high school where my brother was um, a primary school student there. So particularly for the reason that I could study agriculture there, uh, that wasn't offered at the high school that I was going to at the time. And thankfully they reneged and, and let me go after all of that nagging. Um, so yeah, the, the ability to study agriculture was really important to me. Um, I knew that ag was where I wanted to be, but I wasn't necessarily sure what I wanted to be in the industry. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners could probably resonate uh, with that particular sentiment. In about year eight or in year eight, in the early part of it, my ag teacher asked who wanted to join a cattle handling team. And again, I didn't really know much about this cattle handling team business, but I, I knew I liked cattle, I knew I liked agriculture and I knew I liked people. So to me, it was, it was just a, a natural fit. So I participated in junior cattle handling and junior judging competitions right through until my early adulthood. And I guess looking back on it, that's probably where I first learnt the value of networking. I'm still really thankful to enjoy a lot of those relationships that I developed through uh, the cattle handling team. Uh, because those people have actually really influenced hugely who I am and what I do today. That's really great. Can you tell us a bit more about, um, you know, your family? What were some of your really great memories on on the farm growing up? Just the space and freedom and uh, the ability to to take something literally from a seed and nurture it and care for it and fertilize it and give it some love and and grow it into something that was going to be valuable uh, that somebody could either wear or consume. Mm. And um, we hear a lot now that um, parents try to talk their kids out of going straight into agriculture. Farm kids get pushed to try different things. Was that the case in your family or did your family embrace you know, your love of agriculture and, um, you know, allow you to pursue that wholeheartedly? Uh, Look, mum and dad were very supportive of anything that I wanted to do, Um, particularly in high school. Like many high school students, I didn't really know where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. And I considered other careers before I finally settled that that agriculture was definitely going to be my path. But um, yeah, look, I, I was really fortunate to have parents that supported me to do whatever I wanted to do. But I, I do know of a lot of people who have been discouraged either by parents or career advisors or teachers mm. not to go into agriculture. So yeah, I find it really disappointing that sometimes people are discouraged by either family or career advisors or even teachers not to go into agriculture because agriculture is just so diverse and interesting and it doesn't really matter what you want to do. You can pretty much find a career in agriculture uh, to to support where you want to be in life. Mm. You know, if you with all the technology and uh, scientific scientific advancement that's going on you, you could be anywhere yeah it's amazing I, that's it's the great thing about our industry you know aside from wanting to maybe work in health for example but even then you can work in regional areas and still support the agricultural community there's just I don't think there's many career pathways or jobs that you couldn't find a way to be a part of this incredible industry that we all get to work in oh, most definitely So you've spent a lifetime working in agriculture, essentially, then. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your career trajectory? You know, you go from cattle judging to where you are now. So my career has been quite varied. And so I started out as a rural trainee and farmhand working on properties in in northern Tasmania. 
and I spent almost a decade in real estate selling rural and regional properties primarily in southern Tasmania and prior to starting Inspire Ag I spent three years with the state farming organisation here in Tasmania working on a project which was a a project essentially to revitalise skills, training and workforce development across the entire primary industry sector in the state. So for me, leading up to that, that probably wasn't a particular strategy around my career. I was just really following what felt right for me. Mm. But when I look back on it and reflect on the journey so far, I probably say there's been two key themes, and that is agriculture and people. Mm-hmm. Throughout my career, I have observed that communication is kind of like the bailing twine that keeps industries, communities, businesses, whatever you want, insert whatever word you want in there. It keeps it all together. And I consider that there is no more powerful economic machine on this planet than a business that values relationships and communicates well. And that, so that's really what motivates me to do what I do. Mm, amazing I love that it's louder for people in the back that was amazing um so that leads us to your role now and I love your job title so you are the chief inspiration officer for your business Inspire Ag do you want to tell the listeners about how you got started down the journey of starting your own enterprise um so yeah look chief inspiration officer is actually a really it's a bit of a play on words i i don't like the stuffy ceo titles and things like that so Mm. that was something for me to be a little bit playful and it it actually landed really well for people it's a great when you hand over the business card it's a great conversation starter or gets a bit of a giggle uh which either way uh, either response is great So, um, yeah, look, Inspire Ag, I believe that the power of agriculture is its people and I established the business on that foundation. As an industry, I think we find it really easy to talk about things like the weather and stock prices and grain prices and droughts and and whatever, Mm. but we tend to to avoid those conversations that actually really matter. Mm. But I I keep asking my clients, at what cost? At what cost do you avoid these conversations? The mental, emotional, the physical, the family, the business cost of avoiding these conversations is, you know, it can be devastating to to a business or an industry. Mm. So my tagline is that powering agri-people and it's more than just a tagline for my business. I'm really passionate about helping agri-people have purposeful conversations both in life and business. Talk to us about the decision to so you were obviously probably working full-time when you started your business did you was there a period of transition for you or was there just a big leap into starting your own business yeah so I, I probably moonlighted for about three to four years while I was doing the state farming organization contract and I trend after the completion of that contract, I, I realized that I'd, I'd fallen into a bit of a niche that I was very, very comfortable with. And I was, mm. I could actually see myself doing it for the next 20 or 30 years or, or until I retired. And the only way that I could actually do that was to, to start my own business that, mm. and that's, that's as simple as it, as it is. There was no strategy or business plan to it. But after that, contract finished I launched into the business in a full-time capacity and I've been doing it for about three years now. 
Amazing. I have to, um, oh, well, actually, let's circle back because I don't think we actually covered what Inspire Ag is. So do you want to, you know, give us the uh, elevator pitch, I guess? Yeah, so the elevator pitch is that I work with farmers, agribusinesses, industry organisations and government bodies to grow profitable businesses that perform through their people. Mm. That sounds like such an interesting um, job business to be a part of every single day and I have to say from the outside your um your brand's digital presence is incredible I'm a marketer uh, by training and so seeing um agricultural businesses trying to harness the power of social media and do it in a really creative way which I think you really do um is power to you hats off because it is actually really challenging and is that something that you felt like you've had to work really hard at? Is that a really consistent strategy you've had for your business is the digital side of things? Well, thank you. Firstly, thank you. I, <laughs> I take a lot of pride in it. it. It is my pride and joy. But more rather than a strategy, my focus on, through my social media channels is to deliver value to the people that might be at the other end of the screen. So I, I do this because I... I want this industry, I want agriculture to be an industry of choice when it comes to choosing a, an industry and a career. Um, and if, I think if you look at it a little bit more broadly as well, it's, it's really important that um, because Australian agriculture has an ambitious growth target and that's to grow the industry to $100 billion by the year 2030. And so to my mind, the only way that we can do that is to actually look at how we can actually build the capability and capacity through our people. Sometimes we can be a little bit tongue-in-cheek about the, uh, you know, the way that we go about things. But, you know, if we want to be an industry of choice, it's something that we've got to look at about how we are perceived by the outside world or the broader viewer because we, we need people to come into this industry. We've, the last lot of information that, that came from, I think it was NFF in 2015, said that as an industry, between 2015 and 2020, we needed to attract uh, 90,000 people to that industry to uh, account for job growth. Mm. And we needed another, I think it was 115,000 to account for those that were exiting the industry to retire. No, I, I think you're really right. You know, we, um, it's, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or a casualness thing or what it is, but um, it's, I don't know, this idea of, yeah, that we're just farmers or we're just um, working in the agriculture industry. You know, I had a, I had a young person say to me once, um, she said, you know, you want to talk about humanitarianism, you know, this is an industry that provides food and clothing for the world you know what more incredible or professional or important an industry is there to work in I I just don't know and aside from you know healthcare obviously and the um you know there's really important industries all over the world but you know we, we sell ourselves so short don't we yeah absolutely and I, I love that analogy that that friend has given you in that you know, we we grow things to to feed people and to and to clothe people, and there is no more important job in the world. And so, you know, we need to start talking as an industry, like what your friend was saying. It's not that we are just a farmer. I would love to get that that word out of our vocabulary. Just it's like just mm. being a mother, or just a farmer, or just what insert whatever word. Mm. We need to get that out because I I believe that 
if we want people to value us as farmers, as an industry, we need to actually start valuing ourselves. Mm, exactly. If, and if we want to attract the best talent to fill those hundred odd thousand roles, then yeah, we, we have to appear from the outside to be, you know, we have to have our, excuse me for saying, our shit in order. Like we actually have to be, uh, present ourselves as a premium industry to be working in. And um, I think we've got a lot of work to do, but I love circling right back to see businesses like yours just getting on social media and doing it so well. And um, I'm just taking a guess here, but I'm sure you probably hadn't had much background in social media before you started your page. You just thought, I'll have a go and work really hard at it. And now you have something that you can be really, really proud of. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so let's talk about a bit more about the journey of becoming a business owner. What are some of the biggest curveballs or lessons you've learned along the journey of starting your own business? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think it probably goes well before, long before starting my business. There has been a whole catalogue of setbacks and curveballs and stuff up sort of that come along that particular journey. And looking at it now, I wouldn't change any of those because they have actually really helped shape where I am at this point in time. Anyone who knows me or has spent any amount of time with me knows that I love a good philosophy or a quote or a mantra. And you've only really got to look at my social media feed to, to figure that out. I, I do a weekly quote uh, that resonates with the, the people side of agriculture. Mm. And I guess looking at it, uh, my main philosophy is that by understanding the human element of our agricultural businesses, we can really identify what's holding us back mm. and utilise that to help us power, power businesses through human capital. And it sounds a bit cliche, but I, my main philosophy is that if you get the people part right, mm. everything else will take care of itself. I completely agree with that. You really know when you walk into a business that um, as an employee, they, whether or not your employer values the bottom line more than they, than they value you. Um, and that's not to say those two things are mutually exclusive. I think a, a business can value its employees and value the bottom line, but it's about how do you demonstrate that to your employees and what makes your employees want to work harder for that bottom line? Mm, absolutely look the the modern employment relationship is made up more than just of the of the employment contract there are three contracts that go along with any modern um, employment engagement that is the employment contract and we all know what they are we've had been exposed to those over over a long period of time they're pretty common play standard issue in this day and age you have your social contracts so that you know everybody that's involved in that business will do the right thing by all those that are involved in the business at, at the right time and then there's a the psychological contract so the unwritten set of rules or expectations for the want of a better word around how we're going to treat each other around here and mm. so you know we need to look at those three together holistically and you know the businesses that look at that in isolation from each other they're the ones that are potentially having the most problems at the moment the, the most successful businesses look at those three in in a holistic way Mm. do you I was going to ask this question a bit later on but I think it would be good a good segue to ask if you've got any cool stories what can you share with us how have people been doing it well or and how many have people been doing it badly <laughs> yeah um okay so maybe I could tell you a story about the dangers of assumptions and picking up on that uh so psychological contract 
uh, point that I was talking about before and and why these particular these two particular areas are, are paramount by way of definition psychological safety is the belief that you will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with new ideas questions concerns or mistakes and that that definition comes from the grandmother of psychological safety amy Edmondson. So about 12 months ago, I got a phone call from a client who basically said, need you at my kitchen table at one o'clock on Tuesday, I need to sack a bloke. So I arrived at this kitchen table and I said to the client, look, before we get into this, I really want you to sit down and talk to me about what has actually led you to this point where you want to exit this person from the business because I'd been involved in the recruitment process of this particular employee. So I knew his references checked out. I knew he was a hard worker. He had a great history um, of, you know, doing the right thing at the right time. So I wanted to understand what was what had actually gone wrong. I just had a feeling that something wasn't quite right in this particular scenario. So I sat and listened to that client for about an hour about everything that was wrong with this particular employee in their mind. So there was everything from problematic behaviour, they were getting lengthy responses to their emails and texts late at night from communication that they'd issued during the day. Um, they were getting phone calls during the day despite some of their, most of their instructions being issued via an app mm. uh, so that the instructions were in written format. Um, and so from their perspective, this particular employee was being lazy and self-centred and entitled and just being plain difficult. And I asked the, the employer one simple question that completely changed the course of this discussion. I said to them, I said, have you actually considered that this employee might have some challenges with reading and writing? And there was a really long pause and the husband of the partnership just about dropped his cup of coffee on the floor and he looked at his wife again in silence. And then after a moment, once they recovered, he said to me, he said, you know, we've got a child that has literacy problems who's in a primary school environment. We have all the tools and resources here to support that particular employee, but we didn't see it. And it was literally right underneath our nose. So as it happened, we were about to start uh, a client, pro the client was about to start a project where we we're going to do a 360 degree review process. So it was actually the perfect avenue to potentially lean into a difficult conversation and, and really find out if our line of thinking was in fact correct mm. on this. During that process, I actually handed the employee a piece of paper, which I have done with everyone else that's been involved with that process. And I just, it's like an action sheet. It's just to record the, the ideas, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, that sort of thing. And the, I just pushed the piece of paper across the table to the employee and I said, oh, look, can you just write your name on the top of that so we know that this is yours? And that employee's hesitation to write his own name in front of it was enough to confirm that we were, in fact, on, on the right track. Mm. So in that moment, I, I gently asked the employee, I said, I, I said to him simply, you've got some problems with, with reading and writing, don't you? And of you know, of course, he had nowhere to go. He had, he had to confirm that that wasn't in the case, that was the case. So in the smoko room of that shearing shed that day, I sat there and talked with that employee for a little while at length about what was actually going on for them from their perspective. And what I learned for the most part was that 
the behaviours that the employer was in experiencing was in fact coping mechanisms. It was mm. just their way of getting through that particular situation or the day that they found themselves in at the time. So as I, as I learnt more about it, I, I understood that he could read and write, but his proficiency was actually so poor that he thought he was being far more efficient by making that phone call to the employer during the day and saying, look, don't understand what you mean. Can you give me some further instructions on, on what you need me to do um, as you've listed on, on that app? So, yeah, he would do that rather than trying to, to, to nut out what the employer was actually trying to get him to do. At the end of the day, though, what was happening was the employee was essentially going home and, and almost downloading to his wife everything that had happened during the day. Um, and he, she was helping him write the follow-up emails and write the texts of an evening after the kids had gone to bed. So it was, I guess it was what the employees told me next that will it'll probably stick with me for a long time. And I'll try to say this without getting a bit choked up because it is... Mm. It's quite quite profound. Despite living on the property and being literally 50, 50 metres uh, from, the, from the homestead, he, this employee would have his lunch in the shearing shed and he would structure his day so that he wouldn't have to go home until he knew that his kids were in bed and well and truly asleep. And that, as a, as a mother myself, that literally broke my heart because what for him what was happening was the shame and embarrassment was so ingrained in him that it was actually modifying his behaviors and the way that he conducted himself within that business mm. but to to not to structure their day so you don't go home when your kids are awake for the fear of having to read them a story mm. breaks my heart yeah so look although that problem and looking at that now that the issue is out on the table uh, the employee is still gainfully employed with that particular employer, but that employee's confidence to do any further training or coaching around trying to improve those literacy skills has been shot by the the experience that that employee has had in that particular environment. Mm. He um, and I guess you might ask, why didn't this employee flag this earlier on? Why didn't he just say outright, "I have problems with reading and writing"? But what it comes down to is what we started at the beginning is psychological safety. He felt that his job and potentially his character would be compromised if he brought this to light. So I think for me, the disappointing part is that while it is out, the, the situation is out on the table, the employee can't actually see the, the link between uh, improving his, his standing in the business or progressing, um, that's, that's not the right word, progressing in the business is, is actually impacted by his ability to go and actually get help in that area. So, and I guess the other part of this story is that some of this blame actually comes back on to the owner. Like the, the owner had not dealt with this in a timely manner. When, it, when he was experiencing those behaviours, he didn't say, look, mate, this is, this is not acceptable. This is not how we do things around here. He just let it ride because he didn't know how to deal with it didn't know how to lean into that difficult conversation. Mm. That's a really incredible story and it, I guess it um, should have sort of highlights how much perspective, a different perspective can change and how, some, how wrongly we can um, mischaracterise situations. Uh, on that, 
what do you think some of the biggest knowledge gaps are, you know, in agriculture businesses? Are there common themes that you come across when working with your clients that um, make you think, wow, there's, there's some real work that needs to be done in these areas when we're talking about HR and culture and in agriculture? Yeah, so in my experience, I think business owners often treat HR as an event. They do the policies and procedures, they give you an employment contract, and that's the end of the game as far as they're concerned. Mm. So they look at HR as a, as a way of um, compliance or, or managing a business rather than a way that can actually, or used as a tool that can increase the performance and profitability of a business. Often I'm, I'm actually called into a business because, in inverted commas, somebody else is the problem. Mm. So I, I have this philosophy where I, I have uh, my mantra is that I say what needs to be said. And, of course, that is sometimes not necessarily what somebody wants to hear. Um, and so if you've got drama in your business, it's for one of three reasons. You either hired it, you allowed it, or you're it. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, my gosh. It's about, um, you know, the best uh, businesses that I've worked for are those led by, you know, su superiors who just take responsibility. Even if it's they don't think it's their issue, they take it upon themselves that an employee's behaviour is a reflection of a behaviour that that, that that superior is bringing to the business. And I love working for people like that because as an employee, it makes you look at yourself and go, okay, well, they're recognising their responsibility and it sets an example for everybody to um, do the same and look at your own behaviours within the business and as well and what you bring to the business every single day. I think that's something that we really need to be focused on is the energy that we bring to any particular situation. And I'm sure your listeners out there that are involved, uh, handle livestock or, or have horses will understand that if you, uh, if you handle an animal in a, in a bad mood and you've got a really negative energy about you, that animal really picks up on, on what's going on, whether you actually express that or not, like the animal just innately picks up on that. And so we have to be careful um, about that, you know, if, if we're bringing neg negative energy to a workplace or we are operating below the line where we're going looking for, you know, blame and denial of a particular situation, that can really mess things up. And so there's actually some really cool research out there that says that if you are operating in a, in a positive manner within your business and you offer somebody a genuine compliment, you know, so you're bringing a positive energy and a positive intent, it's like a, an emotional bank account for the want of a better word. A person can last about three months on a, on a compliment or, or a situation that's gone well for them. But imagine, you know, the, imagine the reverse of that. You know, if you're if you're getting that negative energy and that that angst all the time, that's not good for our mental health. And that's, you know, if you if you're stressed in the work environment, your body releases cortisol. And I'm told by the health professionals that cortisol can actually last in your system for up to 26 hours. Mm. And so, among other things, you know, cortisol overload in your system can cause you know, digestive problems, sleep problems, a whole range of things. And so, again, going back to that psychological safety, we just, we just really need to be um, on our game if we want to attract the people into our industry that we, that we need to help grow it. Mm. 
What advice, I'm going to throw you a curveball question in here though. Um, what advice would you give to business owners or people in senior positions who maybe have a HR element to their role? Um, what advice would you give them if they are consistently someone who puts off HR activities or discussions um, and sort of procrastinates from doing those things? The advice that I would give somebody would be value the relationships that you have in your business and also take a look at what the way that you're showing up in your business um, in any particular conversation that you might to have might need to have because to my way of thinking you know the chemistry or the agronomy in the paddock is just as important as the as the human agronomy there's a um there's an analogy that uh our industry can get around i think that's just super easy to understand when you put it like that isn't it it's yeah we put so much time and effort into our um i guess our business assets in the paddock um so it's just as important to put that effort into your assets in the office as well so we've had a really i feel like we've had a really good chat about um, people and culture and I really loved it because um, you know I studied uh, marketing and HR at uni and I love I think there's so much to learn about people um, that communication thing that you were talking about right in the beginning is just so it's so valuable and worthwhile when you actually get into the nuts and bolts of it um, and I just I'm, I'm really excited that we've been able to have this conversation so I want to ask you you know, what's next for you? What's, do you have any blue sky ideas or exciting projects in the work that you'd love to share with us? Or maybe ask for advice from the community. I'm constantly thinking about, you know, how I can power agri people beyond just me as an individual and beyond some contractors that I may pull in for a particular project. Because I, I want to know how I can have the greatest impact on the industry in addition to my consulting stuff with um, doing face-to-face with, with clients, I'm also working on um, trying to build some partnerships and some projects that will help me power the industry through our people. Sounds awesome. Well, we can't wait to hear more about it. Um, the big caveat that we have to coming on the podcast is that we share your details for people who would love to uh, hear more. And I think, I think, I hope that people will connect with you because this is a really important discussion um, and something I know people can learn a lot about. So if people are interested to learn more from you or Inspire Ag, where can they go? So all the socials, Inspire Ag Oz, all one word. Um, across all the social media channels and my website inspire-ag.com.au where you can that's where you can find more information about myself but also more other ways to get in contact with me yes go and follow sally on instagram because she drops little nuggets of wisdom all the time on there and we love following and reading about it Thank you so much for your time tonight, Sally. I really appreciate it. Like you are such a trooper for jumping on so late at night. We, um, we re- yeah, really appreciate you giving up your time and your knowledge and um, sharing your heart with us. Uh, look, it, it is an absolute pleasure. And I just, I just want to congratulate you guys on what you're doing with Generation Ag. It is so important that we have these conversations. And yeah, so just really acknowledge you for, for doing what you do in the industry. Kudos to you. Thank you so much. That means a lot. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. 
And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.